This all started in museums and galleries. Now it's in classrooms, in country towns. This should not be here. It's a human being in a box. This is the stuff of empires. There is a great betrayal. We're not slaves, we're African. It's the stuff the British stole. I just don't believe that. It just does not stand up. From ABC Australia and CBC Podcasts, six brand new podcast episodes for free worldwide, available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. How familiar are you with the band Slipknot? Does that name ring a bell? Like, they would wear prison jumpsuits and masks of, like, clowns and a jester or, like, a skull with nails sticking out of it. I remember being in junior high and seeing their faces on T-shirts, and I was terrified, like, just from the T-shirt. Corey Taylor from the band is on the show today. He talks about how that scariness, how that intensity was kind of the point, but it never felt scary to him. It felt safe and empowering. Corey's here to talk about that and his solo record coming up. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. Uh, so yeah, let's let's start out with some pretty non-public radio music. From 1999, that's the band Slipknot. That's a song called "Wait and Bleed." Uh, that's Corey Taylor on the lead vocals there. Corey and Slipknot had that big hit in sort of the heavy metal circles, and then they became one of the most important and influential and, like, long-lasting bands in what we'll call, like, the heavy music scene. As I mentioned, they became known as much for their music as their looks, like those terrifying masks were everywhere on, on the news for a while, especially in, like, the early 2000s. Now, Corey Taylor has a big life without the mask, without the band. Uh, Corey Taylor has a new record. It's called CMF2. If heavy music isn't your thing and you're like, oh, God, Tom, do I have to listen to someone scream at me for the next 20 minutes? Corey really surprised a lot of people with the diversity of genres on this record. And he talks about how when you're in a heavy band, you get pigeonholed genre-wise. Anyway, that record's out. It's a really lovely conversation about like expectations we place on musicians and the reality of being in a band that the public sees as dangerous. Here's my conversation with Corey Taylor. How are you? I'm good, man. How you doing? I'm not too bad. You're in Boston? I am indeed in Boston. I am spitting distance from Fenway, and uh, we're hours away from rocking like docking. You know how it is. Oh, yeah, baby. Oh, yeah. We will not be doing... Uh, Unchain the night, but we'll be coming close. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, we're, all of us are trying to get close to Unchain the night, really. At all <laughs> <of them now. laughs> we can hope, you know. We strive for Dream Warriors, and we settle for Unchain the night. There you go. Um, I want to I want to play the first track off the record because, uh, as I mentioned to you before, we turned the microphones on. As a traditional musician, it kind of caught me off guard. Uh, t- take a listen to this. Corey Taylor and a mandolin, and that song is called "The Box" uh, from his from his new record. Was was there a certain intention to catch people off guard if they know you from uh, other parts of your music to catch them off guard by starting the record that way? I don't know. I don't know if it was intentional. You know, I mean, 
for me, it's always just been about leaning into what sounds good, leaning into the songs that we want to write, you know, like the stuff that gets us excited. And when I was, you know, when I was thinking about the intro for the album, I wanted to create a mood, you know, like it really kind of came down. It wasn't even necessarily about the, the style of music or the instruments, you know, it was more about the mood of kind of like pulling the curtains back and getting ready for a show, you know, cause I, I wanted the album to feel like a journey. Like, you know, you just gone and seen this incredible band and it's taken you through every musical hurdle you could ever think about, you know? So that's really where it kind of came down to. I don't know if it was even necessarily, uh, you know, I don't even know if we really even thought about doing it on purpose. It was just, it just lent itself to that. And that thing was actually the first thing that I ever wrote on mandolin. Like I wrote it, I, I, I bought the mandolin and then I started playing around with it. And I was like, well, there you go. I mean, this is kind of rad, you know, and then we just kind of built it from there in the studio. We're going to talk about the track that comes after that in, in just a second, um, but I want to stay in the genre thing because I think that with specifically metal artists and hip hop artists, they get right. pigeonholed as those things, um, right. and and as only having interest in those things. If you're a rapper, you only have an interest in rap. If you're a metal artist, you only have interest in metal. Right. What were you listening to growing up? What was the music that was informing you? Oh, dude, I listened to everything. Yeah. I, I listened to, I mean, I was a, I was a punk kid growing up. Like I didn't even really get into metal until I found bands like Motley Crue and Metallica. Man. You know, like that was, that was really it. I, I, I grew up listening to like my, my grandmother had me listening to Elvis. Well, it's one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready and I go, can't go, but don't you. Mom had me listen to Motown and disco. My babysitters had me listening to the old school punk stuff. And then, obviously, when I got when I got a little older, that's when MTV kind of hit. So you kind of your 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 world really kind of expanded, and you started seeing like all these other different bands and music, you know. But it wasn't until I started going to like like you know later in school that I discovered Metallica and Anthrax and like really got into the thrash scene and, and there was such a great kind of uh, connection to the punk scene because it was fast. It was frenetic. It was in your face. It was just, it took you everyone. That's what got me into metal. Was, were, were any of those things you were watching on, on MTV or any of those things that you were watching at, at, at live shows? I don't know who was touring Iowa. Were many people touring Iowa? I mean, yeah. I mean, people forget that Iowa's where Ozzy bit the head off the bat. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. 100, Des Moines, actually. Spitting distance from where I live. Veterans Memorial Auditorium. Wow. He Did bit the head off there, and he was banned from ever playing Iowa, probably for a good... Uh, I want to say it was 13 years and he would always book a show in Iowa and then he would cancel every time. <laughs> so we would get ready to see him and he would cancel because he knew he wasn't going to be able to play it. But they finally lifted that band right around the time the No More Tears album came out was thankfully, you know, so it was so he was, you know, he was banned from there for a long time. But yeah, I mean, we were essentially a B market, but yeah. we would get massive shows you know I, I can remember my mom going and seeing uh quiet riot open for lover boy in like the early 80s metallica would come through and play cedar rapids and iowa city and all that stuff 
So bands would come and, and play, but it was pretty few and far between. You didn't get to see like the, the cool, like indie bands, you know, you had to leave town to go see that, you know? I, lo- I love imagining this. I love imagining like young you going to see these, <laughs> going to see these bands and like sort of getting an idea of what would, I sort of getting an idea of like what entailed of that music and what entailed of that life. Right. Of course, and then you get to sort of live that life yourself. I want to play another track off the record, which is maybe music I more closely associate you with. Okay. From his brand new album, CMF2, that's Corey Taylor with uh, Post Traumatic Blues. Let's leave genre aside now. Like, I know that song comes from a really personal place for you. Can you tell me a little bit about it? It's uh, essentially uh, about trying to build a bridge between people who suffer from PTSD and the people who are trying to help them and trying to you know, kind of create, create a bridge of communication. Um, it's, uh, my, I, have a, I have a charity foundation called the Taylor Foundation, which... Uh, raises money for organizations that treat uh, veterans, uh, law enforcement and emergency services and their families and help them deal with uh, PTSD. It's something that I've dealt with uh, from, you know, early traumas in my life. Uh, It was something that I, I saw that affected my, my family, my, my family way back. Um, Oh yeah. And it's just something that's kind of permeated my whole life. And it was, it was one of those things that I was, it was something I'd always thought about, you know, kind of trying to to do. Uh, and finally, the opportunity just kind of afforded itself and I went for it. So this song specifically is a way for me to kind of describe to people what it feels like when that when that coldness, that numbness kind of comes on. You know, and there's really no way to describe it sometimes. And people will misinterpret it as aloofness. They will misinterpret it as uh, just having no feelings whatsoever. And what they don't understand is that that though that numbness, that coldness, that depression can be triggered by anything. And it it takes a long time to kind of pull yourself out of it. It sounds it sounds personal to you. Very. I mean my grandfather uh was a, a veteran of the Korean War and he came back so traumatized by it that he became a, a massive alcoholic. It ruined uh, his marriage to my grandmother, and he was a person that I didn't know. He was a man who I would visit who lived in diff- different people's houses. He lived in their basements or he was on the street. And uh, you know, my grandmother had to raise two kids on her own in the 50s. Um, it was, you know, it was something that I saw, I witnessed, and it was something that I was like, you know, I wouldn't want anybody else to have to go through that. I feel like we didn't have language. I feel like they didn't have language for it back then. They didn't. Well, but they also put on, they also put the impetus on the fact that you were supposed to just suck it up and get on with it. Yeah. Shell shock or something like that. Real. Yeah. I mean, there was no real understanding of what it was. They called it battle fatigue back then. And they didn't really give any concern to the fact that these people were coming back completely traumatized, completely scarred. Um, it was just, it was a matter of, you know, just dust yourself off and get on with it, you know? And it's that very stoicism that has kept, kept people from actually getting the help that they need.
Tom Power. You're listening to Q. Uh, my guest today is Corey Taylor. You might know Corey Taylor as the lead singer of the metal band Slipknot. Um, he has a new solo album. It's called CMF2. We were just talking about that. In this part of our conversation, we talk a little bit about Slipknot, who you might remember when they first came out became known for wearing strange masks, clown masks, masks with nails out of them, jumpsuits. They would only refer to one another by their number. And I admitted to Corey that when I was young, that was kind of scary for me, even on T-shirts. And that's where we'll pick up this conversation. It's been really fun to get ready for this interview because it's gotten me uh, on YouTube watching a lot of old Slipknot clips. I, rem- oh, yeah. I remember you guys, like, I-, I think I was in junior high or in high school when you guys kind of really blew up internationally. And I remember being afraid of your image on T-shirts. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I remember, yeah. I remember it wasn't just so much that you guys were scary on, on much music on TV, but um, um, when you were almost t- terrifying on T-shirts, you know what I mean? Right, and, right, right. Uh, But then when I watched the videos, it, it became very clear to me that, well, maybe I'll ask, just ask the question. Was it scary to be in the band, too, in those days? No, because we were all kind of nuts, basically. You know, I mean, we, we just we were all just kind of these balls of psychosis that were just trying to work out this kind of frenetic energy, this kind of this hyperactive intensity, basically, you know, I mean, the mask just helped us kind of tap into it a little more. Um, We, you know, we just wanted to go out and we just wanted to be, you know, the wildest thing anybody had ever seen, you know, but we also wanted to the music to be good. You know, it's one thing to get up on that stage and have the look and have the thing and not have any music to really back it up, you know, like I've seen a million of those bands come and go. It's, it's another to kind of be the complete package, you know, where it's like, you have the look, you have the live show, you also have the songs. And, um, for us, it was never really about being scary. It was about, it was about being intimidating, obviously, but it was also more, it was much more of a creative thing. You know, this was a way for us to kind of wear the music on us physically and create something that was striking. And, you know, and, and that's one of the reasons why the art has always evolved with every album, yeah. you know, clown's eye for it is so spot on that it's, it's been really cool to watch him develop as an artist as well. Is it, did it ever feel dangerous at the shows yourself? No, not, not really. I mean, because, you know, we all grew up going to metal shows, you know, we all grew up going to punk shows and we all knew that we were all looking out for each other. Yeah, when you somebody not, went yeah, down, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not like a lot of these shows that people go to now where they don't know how to take care of each other, you know, because that, that wasn't a part of their, that wasn't a part of their, uh, you know, their tribe, it wasn't a part of their culture. We have always known that if somebody goes down in the pit, you help them back up immediately. And because of that, we knew that people were going to come to the show to express themselves 
just as hard as we were expressing ourselves on stage, man. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a misnomer or, or a misunderstanding of the scene that you came up in. Right. Is that because right. I, I came up like in weird folk and, and country music, but there was no one right. for me to hang out with. So the metal people were the people who took me in. Like the punk and right. metal people were the people who were the, were, were the most accepting of me when right. I didn't have, you know what I mean? And I learned that at those shows, that when you, the yeah. thing about those shows is they look violent, but they're actually quite safe because right. when you go down, you get, you generally get picked back up. Because you're all there for the same reason. You're all there because you need to let out the steam. You're all there to get rid of the excess stress and the strife that you've been dealing with in real life, man. A show is a celebration of the fact that you're alive and you want to feel something other than constrained. And people who don't understand it will never understand it, you know? And that's a shame because I think a lot of people would be healthier if they did. I push my fingers into the uh, processing the isolation and the pain you're going through through music, I think, comes up a lot, not just in the shows, but through the right. music itself. And I think through one of like the, the biggest songs you guys ever put out. The things I have to take. If you're just tuning in, I'm speaking with Corey Taylor. His new record is called CMF2. Um, that's a Slipknot duality. As much as you want to, can you tell me a little bit about that song? Because that song, from what I understand, is is um, embolic of what we were just talking about, of right. having to process yeah. something through your own life, through music, and get something out there. Right, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's about, you know, it's about needing that second to kind of get your head back, you know, get your head right, you know? it's uh, And it's all... It's all right there in the chorus, you know, where it's literally about taking these two fingers and applying them right there to kind of get through that migraine that that life will inevitably lay on you sometimes. And because it's, you know, it's not always easy. It's not always easy dealing with the things that that push you towards the extremes, you know. Um, And the lyrics really kind of come down to, you know, talking about all of the things that have kind of pushed you into life's corner. And trying to find a reason not to just back away from everything and just split and just bail, you know, um, it's it's tough, man. It's it feels like it's getting even tougher these days, you know. There's there's some, we're creating reasons for us not to want to deal with real life, and uh, that's it's sad. What 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 were you going through when you when you wrote that? Oh God, I just gotten sober. Um, I'd just taken the the kind of first steps towards really trying to get sober. Let's put it that way. And I was uh, I was dealing with um, my own uh, my own list of ill fated issues as far as like you know being drunk, you know being unavailable for my family, uh, being unavailable for my band, you know. And when when you find yourself in the pit and you felt you feel the you know the floor against your back it's something that is a wake-up call man and you kind of have to stand up and kind of you know kind of take those first faltering steps towards getting back to real life you know um and it's uh you know it's it's it was it was hard um especially that first few years man like you're basically rediscovering who you are as a person without 
booze and and distraction and and it makes you have to relearn who you are and it makes you have to decide whether or not you like who you are man so it's a, it's a tough process and a band and the road is not i've been doing this long enough to to know that a band and the road is not an easy is that, a, it, that those decisions and that lifestyle adjustment is not made easier by being in a band or being on the road no and it's i mean it's definitely something that you have to kind of consider um i've known people who have pulled themselves off the road because of it you know um i didn't have that luxury though you know i had a family that i had to take care of you know it, it's one of those things where you just kind of had to put your head down and figure it out as you were going on you know and, th- and there were some there were some slips here and there um but i've been sober now for uh, 14 years and uh you know it's 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 just something that you just that's just a part of your story, you know, and you just you kind of you make your way through life and try to figure things out on your own. Given that you're you you're probably going to sing duality with Slipknot for the rest of your life or that that, mm-hmm. that song is is the song you kind of have to play. And given right. that everything you just told about told us about that where that song came from, what are the emotions you feel now when you play it on stage? Oh, it's the same. You know, I mean, just because you get sober and you try to, you know, you think you've got things figured out doesn't necessarily mean you do. You know, it's uh, every day is a process, man. Every day you're going to catch curveballs that come screaming by your head, you know, um, whether you are in a place like mine in life or you're, you know, in a place where you're coming to a show. There are things that you're going to have to deal with in real life that are going to make you need to put your head in your hands and you just need a second to catch your breath, you know, and it's, it's like that for me every day. Um, I have no illusions about the fact that, you know, once you get to a certain point in life, all your problems, all your troubles go away. Troubles just get bigger, you know, so it's, it's the way you handle them that differentiates whether or not you're going to be a person who can handle your own life or if you're going to put the responsibility of your life into other people's hands. And I've always tried to be the one to have my hands on everything that I do. It's the first part of my conversation with Corey Taylor from the band Slipknot. His new solo album, CMF2, is out now. More of my conversation coming up in the next little while, but let's listen to Corey's song. This is Sorry Me. This silence you left me as me terrified As simple as a complicated mind I'm not what I used to be But then again I'd love to be Gold art floor Another warm, soft head Screaming in my ears The words I never said I might get over it But then again Here I sit Sorry me, I do believe I failed you Show you what I know 
That's a little bit of Corey Taylor's song, Sorry Me. Corey Taylor, the lead singer of the band Slipknot. Uh, That's a little bit off his solo project, CMF2. Coming up, more of my conversation uh, with Corey Taylor. We talk a little bit about how a band that became known for its terrifying masks, its its infighting, its dangerous, violent performances, ended up lasting longer than almost any other metal band. He has an answer to how they did it. It's coming up after this on Q. Things all stack up waiting on my end. Seems the inner cancer's coming Are vegans actually unhealthy? Does cannabis ruin your sleep? And why are so many men taking testosterone supplements? I'm Mitch. And I'm Greg. And we're the creators of the popular YouTube channel, ASAP Science. Every week on our podcast, Side Note by ASAP Science, we explain the science behind a controversial subject with recent research, up-to-date studies, and ridiculous stories so you are entertained while, bam, simultaneously learning. We're here to make science make sense. Download Side Note by ASAP Science wherever you got your podcasts. I want to get on stage and I don't care whether people are there or not. I'm going to do it for me and I hope they enjoy it as well. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. You're in the middle of my conversation with that guy, Corey Taylor, the lead singer of the metal band Slipknot. If you're not familiar with Slipknot, um, they're this they're the kind of pretty heavy band that got a lot of attention back in the early 2000s for wearing these like prison jumpsuits and terrifying masks. Like if you've ever seen a picture of a band and someone's wearing a clown mask, that's probably Slipknot. And they also became known for like tearing the stage apart while they were performing, tearing one another apart while they were performing. And given how destructive that band is, both in terms of their performance and frankly interpersonally, it's kind of amazing that Slipknot has survived for three decades now. So that's where we're going to pick up our conversation. How did this metal band from Iowa survive longer than almost any other band? Here's more of my conversation with Corey Taylor. How about the band? It, it, it occurred to me that while I was doing this interview, I think because I, maybe it's because I'm dealing with my own age or something like that, but you still feel like a new band to me. But I was having this moment where I was, I was like, oh my God, they've been around for, I mean, what, like 25 years now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 20, the the first album came out, so Prussia, professionally twenty five years, but yeah, a few years before that. And you know all the bands that mm-hmm. you came up with who aren't around anymore. Right. Um, all the bands that are around for five or six, seven years, and Corey, right. some of those bands that that aren't around anymore didn't go through what Slipknot went through. Didn't go right. through addictions. Didn't go through infighting. Didn't go through deaths of of bandmates. Right. What what is it? What what is it that has kept this band going? I think it's a couple of different things. Um, I think it's the fact that we all still have that fire in our belly to make music, to get on stage and 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 push it as far as we can. You know, even though you know, obviously, with age and injury. You know, it's kind of it slowed us a little bit, but there's still that urge to do it. You know, um, it's also the fact that we're all fans of each other's writing, playing, performing. We love the music that we create together, and there's still so much that we haven't done. You know, there's still so many things musically that we could still kind of lean into. You know, um, 
I, I think I think we we know that we're not done yet. Let's put it that way. I think the consensus is is that we know we're not done yet. And uh, maybe when the time comes that we all look at each other and go, you know what? I think we're I think we've 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 done it. We've 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 achieved what we need to achieve. That'll be the time where we kind of you know put our tools down and back out of the garage, you know. But but till then, man. I mean, we're still we're still very lucky to be able to do this um we're still very lucky to have the size of the audience that we do um we captured something in the zeitgeist that is very rare and it's very rare for a band of our age and our genre to stay modern and current so i don't know if i really even have the answer for that all i know is that we are trying to take advantage of it as much as possible because there's really no roadmap for it, you know, other than maybe a handful of other bands, Metallica, obviously, other than that, there's really no roadmap for us to follow. We're just kind of cutting the road as we go. There's, there's absolutely no roadmap. I mean, even with Metallica right. and no disrespect to Metallica, I mean, in fact, incredible respect to Metallica. Right, right, right. We're talking about an era where, I mean, when they came back with the Black Album or whatever, we're talking about an album when that got on MTV, so Enter Sandman blew up and everyone discovered them all over again. You right. are also talking about keeping this band going and growing an audience, for, coming at a time when you guys were on like much music and MTV and everyone watched that too, when there's no monoculture right. anymore. No one's, right. no one's agreeing on anything anymore. Uh, everyone's TikTok feed is, is uh, for them and for them only. Like right. to, to keep the band going without there being a monoculture at all to tap into, that's, I would say that's right. even more challenging. No, absolutely. And, and trying to use the various technologies to our advantage, obviously, it's a, it's a, it's a learning curve. Um, yeah, and plus I, I hate it, I, man. I just, you know, I, I'm not a fan either. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, you're talking to somebody who I don't even run my own social media right. sites. I got off of that for right. real. I got off that, what, almost six years ago. Does it and feel I good? I never looked back. Oh, it's the best feeling. I, I was a doom scroller, man. Like I would just, you know, it would just, it was painful. And it got to the point where I realized I was, I was ignoring my family because of my addictive tendencies, man. Like I would be sitting in a room my kids playing and my daughter would come up and go, daddy, get off your phone. And I, that broke my heart. And I was like, that in itself was enough reason for me to get off. So I could really be present with my wife and my kids and, and really make sure that I was spending time with the people who, who mattered, man, you know? One of the things it can do is it can foster a sense of community. And when you go to Corey Taylor videos on YouTube and you go to Slipknot videos on YouTube, there are a lot of comments there about how X song saved my life. X song helped me through the darkest moments of my life. Did you have that? Did you have art or artists that helped you through what you were just describing to me? Oh, man. Faith No More. I mean, I saw them on the VMAs. In 19, I think it was 1990, and I had just gotten back from the hospital because they had pumped my stomach because I had taken a bunch of pills. And their performance changed my life. It was because I watched Mike Patton give zero care about who was there, what was going on, where they were playing. He went up there, and he was a ball of middle fingers just coming at people.
and it inspired me. I was like, that's what I want to do live. That's what I want to be live. I want to get on stage and I don't care whether people are there or not. I'm going to do it for me and I hope they enjoy it as well. That's a beautiful thing. Um, I know we have to go. I'm going to play you one more clip and I think to not look back at the past but kind of look at, at the future of what might be inspiring or who you've inspired right. these days. I'm going to play a clip. Take a listen to this. I don't want to Corey, who's that? That's my boy. That's your son. That's my son. That's 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 Junior. That's Griffin. Vended is that the band? Yeah, Ben Dead. Yeah, um, it's uh, him and uh, Simon, um, who uh, is a clown son playing drums. Wow. And then it's a bunch of dudes that they went to school with, basically, man. So they they've come up together from the jump. You know, and they've just gotten better and better and better. And they're just, to me, they're one of the best bands out there right now. How does it feel to to watch him play this music? It's amazing. It's so rad. Anytime we're at the same festival, you know where to look for me. I'm going to be on the side of the stage, grinning ear to ear like an idiot because I'm watching my boy be himself, you know, and he's an absolute star, dude. He's one of the best. I love it. And, uh, I, I could not be more prouder. It's 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 so rad. Right, because he's given the ball of middle fingers too now. Oh yeah, dude. Yeah. And he's so good at it. And he's he's so he's so he's different and yet alike. And he's just got a style that's all his own, you know? And there's so many things that he can do that I could never do. Um that I'm it, it's just so impressive to me. And I love the fact that he's just really learning and doing it on his own he's asked me for very little advice you know but when he does come to me we have really cool heart-to-hearts about stuff you know whether it's writing or taking care of our voices and stuff like it's 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 pretty rad it's 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 a whole level of our relationship that i i never knew i would have had with him you know that's a beautiful thing uh cory i i love talking to you thanks so much for making the time for us oh it's all good man it's my pleasure Two things on that. One, Corey did that interview on his iPhone, like backstage, waiting to go on in Boston. So that was cool to see like what was happening in terms of the big show behind him. And the second thing, and, and this might be almost a cliche at this point, like you might already know this, but um, it's very true that the people who are in these destructive, aggressive, scary metal bands are often the kindest and most generous and most considerate guests and most thoughtful guests. So thanks so much to Corey Taylor for making the time. His new record is called CMF2. It's out everywhere now. All right, that's it for our little podcast today. If you're wondering why we're playing you this song right now, well, I have some very exciting news I've been waiting to share with you. Tomorrow on the podcast, uh, uh, you'll hear our conversation, a very rare conversation with all four members of the legendary band Talking Heads. 
I'll be honest with you, these guys have barely been in the same room in the last two decades. It was a great honor that all four of them came in for a conversation largely about the re-release of their legendary concert film, Stop Making Sense. So yeah, David Byrne, Jerry Harrison, Chris France, and Tina Weymouth, all the talking heads, all talking heads know the tomorrow on the show. We'll see you then later on. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.